0: You can't open a news browser, turn on the radio or TV without hearing about a conflict, war, protest, or some form of civil unrest. Today's guest formed a small army of his own to draft a report on armed conflict and resilience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 111 of the Resilient Journey podcast presented by the Resilience Think Tank. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by one of the co-authors of that report, called Armed Conflicts, Changing the Paradigm in Resiliency Planning, Nate Bridges. Nate and I discuss his reasons for writing the report and how there was a general lack of thought leadership on the subject. He explains that this isn't just about war, but how geopolitical disruptions can also affect your business. He encourages us to broaden our knowledge and build relationships as we think about resilience differently in the days ahead. Nate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Um, hey, start off by introducing yourself and talking a little bit about your background and resilience. Thank you, Mark,
1: and it's, it's good to be here. Um, I, I'm Nate Bridges, and currently I'm the Vice President of Cyber Operations within the Cyber Resiliency Team at Sumitomo Mitsui Bank Corporation. And it's a part of a, a larger company called Sumitomo Mitsui Financial Group, which is Tokyo-based uh, company. And it's one of the largest uh, t- largest banks uh, in the world based on assets under management. And I have about 20 years experience in various resiliency roles, primarily in business continuity, business resiliency, crisis management, and also uh, cyber resiliency. And more recently, art resiliency and primarily in uh, financial services uh, organization and primary uh, global organizations. And right now, I'm currently certified uh, Master of Business Continuity Professional, uh, Fellow of Business Continuity Institute, and uh, Project Management uh, Professional Certification.
0: And very, very good qualifications. I'm uh, very interested in the fact that how similar our backgrounds are um, and, and how closely aligned we are, but that's not what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about this report that you just co-published, you're... The co-author, and there's a lot of people involved in this. Nate, you you posted this report last week on LinkedIn, and I reached right out to you because it really caught my attention. The report is called "Armed Conflicts: Changing the Paradigm of Resiliency Planning." So we'll get into some of the details of the report, but explain the premise of the report. And what made you decide to write it, and how you went about getting all of those really qualified people involved in it?
1: Great, thanks. So we actually published the first version last fall, and we we decided to make some updates to it. You know, based on, of course, what happened. What's happening in Israel? Potential escalation, and a, a lot of uh, global companies do have uh, operations or. Uh, ties, assets in the Middle East. But what what triggered the paper was uh, like many of us last year, as the Ukraine Russian war started to escalate, and and a uh, uh, two weeks turned into a month, and month turned into two or three months. I started to wonder, wow, what it must be like to be a crisis management or business continuity professional. And you're in Ukraine. So imagine the day to day risk and challenges you have to run your program. Or even if you're in Poland, like Romania nearby, imagine a war is taking place and it's prolonged and now you're trying to have an ongoing crisis management capability. And we're not used to dealing with these kinds of, uh, you know, armed conflicts that's happening, you know, in our literally in our backyard. So what I did was I, I used the power LinkedIn and reached out to uh, some professionals in Ukraine and and Romania and Poland, leveraging you know certification searches and uh, and really just to ask, well, what can the business continuity professional do to assist or help? My thought mark was maybe. I could get some folks together, and maybe we could help address some kind of need, and and not a monetary donation. So a few did respond, and um and, and they went out to their colleagues within the region, and they came back with a list of of things that we could assist with, with. With and one of them was that there was a lack of uh you know consolidated knowledge of business continuity management during a armed conflict. So I went out and searched myself and, you know, there wasn't a lot of thought leadership within the business continuity realm because that's normally a physical security type risk. Uh, maybe a, a geopolitical is more governmental. So what I did was I, I reached out to my network and individuals based in Africa uh, with experience in the Middle East and the Philippines uh, within uh, within the US, uh, individuals with military background like myself law enforcement and additional, you know, business continuity professionals that may have experience in that region. So I was able to pull them together virtually a few times to gather and share knowledge of some of our experience operating in these different environments, uh, South America, different scales of of, of conflicts. And, and, and it took about three months, but we pulled the paper together as a kind of a desk reference uh, and, and published it last year, so that that was really the genesis of it. But we realized that there's other armed conflicts besides Ukraine that are happening, and different scales of armed conf- conflicts, and in now in the Philippines, right, and in South America, and Africa, and of course the Middle East, and other parts of the, of the of the world. So we don't want to have it just focus on Ukraine. Right. So we felt like let's let's keep it at a level where it could be useful. For, for other uh areas outside of like the the extreme nature of what's happening in Ukraine so that's
0: where that's where it got started at so I interviewed a guy called Nazari Zoltanevsky, who has a business in Ukraine and we were talking about exactly what you just mentioned you know what's it like to be uh business continuity or a crisis manager uh in in that area but I like what you did here and when you said that you know this isn't just about that this is about all kinds of things, and you've gone on to put together eight recommendations in the report. Now, given the time constraints of the podcast, we're only going to have time to talk about the first recommendation, but it's an important one, and it talks about geopolitical threats and risk analysis. So, kind of summarize: what are you recommending here? Well, what I'm recommending is normally, uh, you know, if you're if you're a U.S. base, you normally
1: look at u s based impacts, and a lot of that is severe weather events and, and power outages. we We have civil unrest, active shooter, but we haven't had close proximity to uh, armed conflicts, but uh, I've been working on global programs for many years. so I've had to monitor these different uh, geopolitical events such as Brexit. It could be a financial systemic event that could become a crisis for the company financially and and then the different political unrest and different country risk. Uh, If you have call centers, if you have operations, third-party vendors or supply chain uh, across the globe, then these different uh, issues are going to impact you. Organized crime rings can create labor strikes, political instability, you know, religious or political ideology, and it starts to impact uh, business operations, the safety of employees, or contractors in those areas. Yeah. So, so what we were recommended is is try to broaden your knowledge of not just what's happening. Say, if you operate, if you're in the New York region, you may have to start to monitor these things in the world that could impact your company indirectly through supply chain. If you have uh, vendors, developers, strategic partnerships in different parts of the world. Uh, so that that's what. And, and I've had to do that, Mark, uh, You know, through different companies I work with, working closely with physical security and threat intelligence, looking at cyber impacts as well that may impact your company indirectly. So, so it's essentially just kind of broadening in your, your, your scope of awareness of, of the things that could indirectly or directly impact your company now or in the future.
0: What I like about the focus on geopolitical threats is, and we find this so much in crisis management that we think so often of these very large scale incidents being the triggers for our crisis management plans when so often it's this sort of sort of subset of that big crisis and a geopolitical incident doesn't have to be a full on armed conflict, but it could still result in a crisis for the organization. So I really like the fact that you focused on that. One of the things that you said in this recommendation is that larger organizations might have a global security operations center that can monitor active and emerging threats. My question is, what about smaller organizations? How are they best uh, suited to you know, do this monitoring of threats?
1: That's a good question, Mark, because some of this paper was focused on the smaller organizations that may not have that capability. So that business continuity manager that's really focused on traditional uh, crisis events and, and run the railroad, the, you know these guidelines will provide some knowledge and, and, and recommendations on uh, some of the global trackers, like if you Google geopolitical events or armed conflicts, you'll You'll find that there's organizations that are tracking these types of events, and you there's software out there as well that based on your location, uh, you, you can map things that are happening in that region based based on the severity scale, et cetera. So if you don't have tools, there's a lot of open source information. That, that you could uh, gather and also reach out to professionals in those areas, uh, using LinkedIn or other social media that you can find individuals that are certified or in your field and reach out to them on LinkedIn to, to get some information on what's happening on the ground. So there's ways, ways to do that, but you, you want to do that in advance if you can start building that network and awareness based on what's impacted. For your company, so you need to do some kind of analysis on what assets are at risk, because we all have a day job, and you want to make sure that what you're focused on is is relatively targeted to the actual risk that your that that your organization uh, is facing, and what types of specific threats. Uh, so the, so that's that that that's uh, some helpful background for a small organization that doesn't have a big physical security presence or a GSOC, right, in place, a security operations center that that's monitoring these types of situations 24-7.
0: Yeah, and that's a really good point. And for me, I use, uh, I partner with an organization, and um, their tool is called TX360, and it's a proactive threat monitoring tool that does exactly what you were talking about. It's very affordable, certainly way cheaper than going out and building your own GSOC and hiring <laughs> yes. staff and that kind of thing, right? Agreed. One of the things that we also focus on a lot in crisis management is building good relationships. And the report talks about that. You have some good tips about establishing and maintaining relationships as part of that information gathering that we were just talking about. So talk about the value of having maybe local relationships and and how that could be beneficial.
1: Yes I guess there's there's two thoughts of that if if you find yourself actually in the middle of a, a some type of armed conflict that's not the best time to to build relationships especially if you are in that area if you are um if you are in Israel for example that that may not be the right time to start trying to build those relationships so ideally it would be done in advance and one of the things i do i didn't mention it in the paper but when i travel abroad and, and i love to travel whether it be for business or, or or just vacation i try to look up business continuity crisis management resiliency professionals in the area uh reach out to them to see if they'd be willing to meet me for for just a cup of coffee if time permits just to look at the person face to face get to know them what's happening in the area. And then you kind of really build a really good connection once you meet in person. A lot of times we only get the opportunity to do that, but during the armed conflict, you're going to really be able to, you need to be able to plug into people on the ground. And if you have a location, it may be the facilities manager, right? It it may be someone within physical security, a vendor. Uh, it, It may be someone with the press or working in the military or, maybe the police or fire. You know, When I was in crisis management, I tried to build those connections in advance with the individuals within that city I worked at proactively so that you can gain uh, open source information, understand the impacts. And of course, if you need support or advice and guidance, it's very important to do that as a part of your day-to-day role, build relationships outside of your company, not just within. Yeah. If you have a global company, Definitely try to get to know these individuals uh, you know, on a regular basis. Have routine one-on-ones uh, because you don't want to dig your well when it's gr- when it's dry. So that's true for a small or bigger company.
0: I really like what you said there. So much, uh, so many nuggets in in your last answer. Uh, the first one that I want to jump on is the value of of meeting people face to face. Like this is the first time you and I have ever had a conversation. We're doing it through Zoom um, and we're getting along just fine. But guaranteed, if you and I were to meet at a conference or, as you said, for coffee, that relationship is going to be stronger. Just There's something about meeting in person. And the other thing that you said that I really liked is if you wait until you have, you're in the middle of a conflict or something's going on, to start to build relationships. That is way too late for sure. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Uh, I want to ask you about something that you call out here also in this first recommendation. Uh, and you're referring to the threat and vulnerability assessment. What are we talking about here in the assessment? Like, you know, Feel free to, to take a little bit of a deep dive into this assessment. We're collecting information. What are we doing with it? Well, well, let's
1: look at from the perspective of of an armed conflict, which is probably not in your normal BIA or normal mm-hmm. vulnerability assessments that that you may do as a part of your day to day job. So, when you think of an armed conflict, it depends on if you if you are in region, you may have direct impacts or indirect. And essentially, is well, what's that risk? Do we have third party service providers perhaps in that area? Do we have technology, data centers, people, operations? Do we have strategic relationships in that region? Based on what's at risk, you're going to look at, well, what plans in place do we have if during the armed conflict there's kidnap risks? There's uh, obviously infrastructure risks where communications may be impacted. You may have street closures that happen on a day-to-day basis because it's fluid, maybe part of uh, a certain section uh, of the country or city is more at risk than the other. Like in Ukraine, eastern Ukraine near Poland is relatively less risk than if you're in the eastern Donbass region. So even within the, so you want to look at, well, based on what's at risk, what do we have in place to mitigate the impact? And then you're going to have the residual risk. Well, what risk do we have left over? So that that's what the assessment does. And that means you're going to pull in, uh, domain experts from IT, from cyber, from third party, from facilities, individuals from your your business, and, and those are the experts that's going to assess the risk and what's in place. So you're probably meeting with them very frequently to assess how are those controls working, how are things going, do we need to uh, make a decision based on what's occurring or maybe uh, emerging threats or emerging risks that you're getting from your Intel. so you're really using that to help make decisions mark and one of them may be do we pull out of region? Uh, you know, you're helping executives make decisions based on the risk from an armed conflict and all those downstream risks that happen. families are impacted, employees may want to may want to resign. Right? so you need to know how you're addressing your employees, who's actually a, a doing the work. So, the, so there's a lot of information, but it should be based on and scaled based on the actual risk and and and, and those threats that that are actually present for those um, for those assets. Right? So mm-hmm. it's a really good tool for uh, for decision making.
0: And, and that Not would then the lead tool. to different strategies. And you have a section in here on on threat risk assessment considerations. And there's some strategies that we can consider. You talked about pulling out of region. What are some other things that uh, you know organizations might consider to mitigate some of these threats? I guess uh, some considerations uh, could be, the, well, how do we, we reduce
1: our risk? And, and can we do that through outsourcing? Can we shift work? outside of that region? Can we shift employees to a, a safer part of the country or region? Do we have US or outer region operations that could take on uh, some of the work? Or do you need to make physical security changes, maybe you know, security measures like hardening facilities, uh, hardening uh, some of the access controls? And what about transportation? If employees have to come into the office, uh, and and do, you, do you need to provide transportation and, and how do you deal with uh, potential staff attrition uh, given based on the nature of the situation? Do you have to look at uh, may, p- perhaps paying bonuses with retention bonuses? So I would say market depends on the risk, but 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 of course you look at your business continuity strategies for staff impacts yep. to make sure those strategies, if they need to be adjusted, Uh, looked at again, then you you, you may have to uh, make some adjustment based on those risks and threats that are occurring, and that may may occur near term uh, based on your information gathering.
0: You're really smart to call out the the very strong link here between risk and business continuity strategies, but one of the things, and it says it in the report, so I don't want anybody to think I thought of this on my own, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, is that, uh, you know, what we're looking at here is really sort of that traditional approach to risk management, where it could be risk acceptance, or risk reduction, risk mitigation, or transfer, right? So and and there's some of the things you just talked about, for sure. You've been using some terms here, um, somewhat interchangeably. So I'd like to get your view on what's the difference between a risk and a threat? That's a that's
1: a good point, and and sometimes I'm even confused by it. But you know, I would say the the simplest way to describe it is that the risk that you will have a business disruption that's a risk based on this event. And given that, say this is not a typhoon or a hurricane, uh, you say if this is an armed conflict, then some of those threats will be potential destruction of operations, kidnapping. Uh, you know, potential death uh, of employees. Uh, definitely, potential communication outages. Uh, so those are the those are the threats that you're going to look at mitigating. Uh, so so the risk will be the highest level. Uh, there's a really overarching, uh, you know, risk of, of cyber threat. But then risk risk of a cyber event or attack. The threat will be well, is it malware? Is is it data breach? Uh, and, and that would be the vulnerability assessment should surface mm-hmm. right? some of those types of threats that we need to really uh, be more, be try to be as specific as you can, you know, based on the the nature of the impacts. Unfortunately, going to armed conflict, it's going to be very fluid. It, it's going to change and expand because you you don't always know what's going to happen. So that likelihood piece versus impact, you know, comes into play. How likely it is that we have employees kidnapped, is it based on facts or data, then you have to put measures in place uh, in order to to, to, to to try to mitigate and reduce that actual outcome.
0: All right. So you were talking about the importance of a global view and uh, how sometimes in the U.S. we don't necessarily uh, feel Uh, that direct threat of armed conflict. However, we are talking about geopolitical threats and risks right now. We're less than a year now away from the 2024 presidential election. Do we see that as a potential trigger for increased geopolitical unrest in the country? And should businesses be preparing for that now?
1: Yes, I I think we should. I I think uh, businesses, especially in major metropolitan areas, to be gearing up for potential civil unrest, you know, potential, uh, you, know, you know, closures, road closures, uh, protesting, or or to escalate into potential, you know, violent situations. So definitely, even when there's like a, a national convention, whether it be the Republican or Democratic national convention, mm-hmm. that that is, I believe, I believe they call it a special event where you have a cross-functional team of public and private sector. And, and you know collaborating in advance to be prepared for the unexpected. So definitely uh, businesses and companies should start gearing up now to try to make sure they have what they need in place uh, to address potential uh, civil unrest and protests that's widespread ar- across the us. The good thing is there's a lot of remote work capability that's out there, but not every organization or company you know has that uh, but I think that's going to help mitigate it. Uh, People can can avoid the area by working
0: remotely. All right, we're going to switch gears here now. And this question I've been asking all my guests, and it's uh, become quite a fan favorite. So I'm gonna I have to ask you uh, as well. Let's say you have um, an opportunity to speak, and as you're walking to the podium to give your presentation, you get to pick your walk-up music. You get to pick the song that's playing as you walk to the podium. What song would you pick, and why? This was a hard choice
1: since I'm a music fan. Right. But I, I would think that, uh, you too, uh, it's a beautiful day. Uh, that, that would be my choice. Uh, because, uh, I love the lyrics, Mark, because it's, you know, some of the lyrics is you're walking, but there's no destination. Like you're at, you're walking through mud and you're trying to move forward and stay, just stay motivated and inspired regardless of all the things that's happening around you in the world. And to me, it's an inspiring song because I've been through ups and downs and obstacles. So I like the premise of that song is let's just keep moving forward, even if it's baby steps, even though you have all these things happening around you in your orbit. You know, it's still a beautiful day to be here and be alive. And that means that, oh, things could get better. So that would be my choice. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful day. I can't sing, so I don't, I'm not going to sing, but you too, it's a beautiful day.
0: But you're right. It says the heart is a bloom and it shoots up through the stony ground. And, uh, you know, that's resilience, my friend, right? That's yeah. what we're talking <laughs> yes, about. Is. Hey, uh, back to the report, and then I'll let you go. I'll get you out of here on this. How can people connect with you? And what's the best way for them to get a copy of this really good report? Well, well, people can connect with me. The best way is on LinkedIn, and
1: it's uh, you know, Nate Bridges. Uh, there's a lot of Nate Bridges. I'm Nate Bridges, NBCP. I posted uh, the report to my LinkedIn, so you can get access to report. If for some reason you can't find it easily, just just shoot me a message on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm typically active on LinkedIn and and monitoring that inbox and definitely want to thank my fellow authors. Uh, those are individuals, trusted advisors, and my network, and it was a great opportunity to pull all of our knowledge and experience together, uh, but that's the best way to get access to uh, to the report. But it's about, it's about 30 pages, so it's not a, a quick read. So get a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, and take your time reading it.
0: No, I agree, and that's what I said uh, we certainly didn't have time to dig deeply into the entire report in this podcast but um, i highly recommend it it is very good eight recommendations and uh, nate i appreciate you man thank you for coming on here and doing this thank you for having me mark appreciate it i want to thank nate bridges for being my guest this week and talking to us about the importance of planning for armed conflict and geopolitical unrest when we think about resilience the resilient journey podcast is a resilience think tank production Next week, we have another great guest as Jason Haas joins me to talk about the difficulties in navigating an organization that doesn't invest in resilience. It's a really interesting conversation that you won't want to miss. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey. The heart is a blue. Shoots up through the stony
1: ground There's no room.
0: yeah.